You are listening to the Cybersecurity Defenders Podcast, a show about cybersecurity and the people that defend the internet. My name is Christopher Luft. I'm one of the co-founders at Lima Charlie, and I'll be your host. This weekly show was put together as a series of segments. We will be looking at the last couple of weeks in cybersecurity news, talking to different people in the industry about their thoughts and experiences. We're going to break apart some of the TTPs used by adversaries, and we will even cover a little bit of hacker history. We're going to try and have some fun with it and see what we can do. Now, I know a lot of cybersecurity-focused content out there uses fear to sell software or drive engagement, but I don't want anything to do with that. Cybersecurity is an engineering problem as far as I'm concerned, and my primary motivation for embarking on this venture is to help promote this way of thinking. Historically, cybersecurity has been the realm of black box tools, gray beards and their magical bash scripts, obscure port numbers, and all forms of secret knowledge. But cybersecurity needs to grow up, and those types of solutions are not going to cut it for where we need to get to if we're going to continue to make the internet safe. Vendors need to collaborate with each other, or at least build tools that can. We need to figure out how to share information with each other and bring more diversity of ideas and people into the field. We need to educate ourselves and understand the primitives of security so that we can build provable solutions and adapt to the ever-changing threat landscape. To get this first episode started, Dr. Gerald Osier of Simply Cyber is going to take us through the last couple of weeks in cybersecurity news, followed by an interview with Chris Gebhardt, the CISO of Synoptic, and finishing things off with a product update from Lima Charlie CEO, Maxime Lamothe-Brassard. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Jerry from Simply Cyber, and this is your Lima Charlie Cyber News Report, the top cyber news stories you need to know about right now. First up, former Chief Security Officer Joseph Sullivan of Uber has been found guilty on two different counts and is facing up to five years and three years of prison for each of those counts. Now, the main problem here was that Uber was hacked and a cover-up was executed. Joseph Sullivan was brought in in 2015 as the executive at Uber to help protect it. And part of the inheritance that Joseph Sullivan received was Uber had been breached in 2014. The FTC, Federal Trade Commission, was investigating this particular hack and had um, interviewed and deposed uh, Joseph Sullivan around this hack and what Uber was doing to secure its assets. Shortly after that conversation with the FTC, Joseph Sullivan found out that Uber had been breached again and two hackers had actually exfiltrated a lot of sensitive data uh, to include information on Uber drivers, so personal information. Now, instead of coming clean, it it was alleged and he was found guilty that Joseph Sullivan um, made an effort to hide this uh, breach and kind of sweep it under the rug, including paying off the two hackers and asking them to sign a non-disclosure agreement that they wouldn't talk about this particular breach. Now, this definitely goes into the realm of um, not uh, handling an incident the correct way. A lot of individuals' personal information was compromised in this. They were not notified of that. Uh, Uber, um, you know, as as a company, was trying to not make this uh, aware to anyone, as, as well as it's reported that Joseph Sullivan actually had misled the new CEO of Uber who had been brought in on the severity and level of this particular breach. And, you know, ultimately it came to be that he was held accountable. This also brings an interesting uh, role to the idea of the CISO 
as the person who is held accountable, brought before the judge, if you will, on why something bad happened. Again, I want to reiterate, this wasn't that Uber was hacked and that the CISO didn't do a fine job protecting the organization. It was how that hack was handled, how the notification went out, how the affected parties uh, were handled in this case. So he will be going away. The next item that you should know about, hopefully you already know about this, is that there was a massive second attack on Microsoft Exchange, on-premise versions of Microsoft Exchange. Now, you might remember Proxy Shell from a while back last year, 2021. Big news, you could basically just exploit uh, internet-facing Exchange servers uh, and get access to them. Well, there are new zero days that are being actively exploited, uh, jokingly referred to as proxy not shell, that is very similar to the proxy shell. And essentially what it allows you to do is get access to the system, execute remote code, elevate privileges, kind of own the exchange server, which is not good already. As an email, it is a critical piece of infrastructure. Plus, it's typically, if it's on-premise, it's going to be a internal uh, asset that could then allow... Um, lateral movement, as, as well as threat actors sending emails as the CEO or as whomever they want within that organization. Right now, Microsoft has not released a patch to fix this. But if you do want to actually uh, implement mitigations, Microsoft has released this through their security response center. It's worth noting that if you initially implemented the risk mitigations that Microsoft had released, you need to go back and re-release that. As soon as the mitigations were released, it came out that they were easy to bypass and there's documentation around that being bypassed. So go and re-firm re that you do actually have the most current mitigations. This is applicable if you are running Microsoft Exchange on-prem. If you're running hybrid, so you have it in the cloud and on-prem, you still have it on-prem, you're still exposed, and it is a sophisticated uh, threat actor that is actively exploiting these. At least that's the current intel that we have at this time. Also, if you'd like to investigate to see if your actual Exchange on-prem instance has been exploited, Microsoft has released indicators of compromise to allow you to analyze your environment and determine if you've potentially been accessed. Quick little shout out and love to Kevin Beaumont, aka Gossy the Dog on Twitter. Gossy the Dog on Twitter. He is a security researcher or you know a security professional and he breaks news all the time and, and really is engaged with the community. And he's been doing a lot with this proxy not shell. So I want to give a shout out. He's a must follow as far as I'm concerned. The next item is a phishing as a service platform that's kind of taken hold on the scene that you might want to uh, be mindful of. It's called caffeine. And one of the interesting things about caffeine is that it doesn't really require any type of hoops or hurdles to go through in order to get access to the platform. You can just sign up and you're off and running if you can you know, uh, put some money into it. Now, I think they have a couple different subscription models, but for as low as $250 a month, anybody can get access to this feature-rich platform, which has all sorts of function and um, functionality and features that can be taken advantage of. You can see here, there's mechanisms to customize dynamic URL schemas. You can configure first-stage campaign redirect pages uh, and also do IP block listing if you'd like 
to not hit a certain region of the world or, you know, just, you know, not attack your own uh, country, perhaps. Uh, also, at this time, they only have landing pages uh, to fish Microsoft Office 365 credentials. But considering the footprint and adoption of Microsoft Office 365 uh, globally, uh, this will get you quite a bit of reuse. So want to make you aware that right now there is a really widely accessible to very low skill level individuals to be able to wholesale send out massive phishing campaigns and you know execute that first stage of many, many attacks. The final story I'd like to share with you is the protest in Iran and taking it back to late 90s style hacking where hacktivism has taken over and they have taken over the TV airwaves. Now, right now, there is a very serious situation going on in Iran around um, the cultural uh, access of you know, certain individuals, specifically women, uh, and how they dress. And there are protests right now. Um, some people have been, uh, you know, died or killed. Uh, it's, it's very, very, uh, volatile over there right now. And on the state sponsored TV, the main channel was actually taken over and a hacktivist message with content around how to rise up, how to connect with the uh, the group that is actually organizing and doing the protests and stuff like that. So very 90s style hacktivism, uh, but you know, in 2022, in current day, a very um, serious issue, but kind of an interesting hack and one that we don't commonly see uh, in the modern era. Well, that's going to do it for this week's news cycle. Hope you got some value out of it. Remember to check out simplycyber.io slash streams to get longer form, deeper dive cyber threat briefings every single morning. I'm Jared Lozier from Simply Cyber. Consider yourself armed with knowledge. Uh, my guest today is Chris Gebhardt, uh, Chief Information Security Officer and Cybersecurity Practice Leader at Synoptic. Thanks for being here with us today, Chris. Hey, happy to be here. Uh, we'd originally scheduled this call for a couple of weeks ago, but you were in the path of uh, Hurricane Ian. How was that? Did he get away unscathed? Yeah, fortunately, where I am, uh, you know, we it it was a weird hurricane in, in its path, very unique. So it actually went south of us, which obviously we were thankful for. Unfortunately, hit my family and relatives that are down in Fort Myers and everything. And they're they're recovering and just got power back after seven days of outage. So it was wow. a beast. That was for sure. But everybody's safe. Everybody is safe, and that's that's the big point. That's great. Um, you're the CISO at Synoptic, which is a large global IT outsourcing firm. Uh, cybersecurity is one of the classes of services that you offer, but not everything they do. Uh, what kind of cybersecurity services do they offer? Yeah, you know, Synoptic is a, a managed service provider, and we're a managed security service provider. So we have this little MSP space inside the larger MSP of Synoptic as a whole. And we provide soup to nuts, really. Um, everything in, in, you can think of in, in the cybersecurity space from endpoint managed detection and response to SOC services for 24-7, 365, you know, awareness around what's going on in a customer's environment to compliance. Uh, you know, the all of the compliance teams report to me here at Synoptic, um, which is a really good fit when you get those two working together. When you get cybersecurity and compliance working together, it creates this, this much stronger uh, organization. Uh, so we do provide compliance services to customers. 
uh, VCSO, uh, so they can get fractional uh, CISO uh, subject matter experts to to work for organizations that can't afford a full-time CISO, all the way down to, to pen testing and, and getting in there and doing red team exercises and security assessments, et cetera, et cetera. So if it's in cybersecurity, we pretty much do it. Application security, network security, you name it. So as CISO there, you're, I guess you're then you're the bridge between like the business units, the compliance and engineering. Do you still have your hand in engineering? Yeah, absolutely. So what's nice about the way Synoptic has structured the cybersecurity function is everything cybersecurity related from application security to security operations to compliance, um, you know, being SOC 2 or ISO, whatever, um, all re- report through one single entity. And it's, that's me uh, as the CISO. So I get to control all of that and get those organiz- get those groups working together. And then we, you know, we follow the, the programming adage of dog fooding, right? Uh, you eat your own dog food. So Synoptic as, is just another customer for cybersecurity services. So everything that our customers are consuming, Synoptic itself is consuming uh, first and foremost. We don't test stuff out on our customers. We test it out on ourselves. We get it. We work it. We make it work perfect. And then we deploy it to our customers as a, a customer offering. So I handle both the corporate security for Synoptic and I handle the customer facing uh, cybersecurity practice as well. Very cool. Uh, yeah, I was looking at your LinkedIn and it, it looks like you've been in some form of security for about 25 years uh, starting in law enforcement, how did law enforcement come into as, as the career path you wanted to chase? That, that's being nice, 25 years. Um, <laughs> I think I, I attended my first hacker meeting in 1984. Okay. So it's been a while. Um, yeah. you know, I, grew up on, <laughs> I grew up on Long Island, New York, um, which had a very burgeoning uh, hacker community. There was a publication out there called 2600 for those that that are in the know. I do remember that. Yes. So 2600 started off in Long Island. We had our, our, they had monthly meetings uh, that occurred in Manhattan. And and we were, you know, I was a kid at the time, 16 years old. We'd go into Manhattan and go to these hacker meetings. Uh, It was pretty, you know, pre-internet before it was all BBS days. So yeah, when you ask, you know, how I got into cybersecurity, that's where, where, you know, I really got wet from, from, wanting to do cybersecurity, but then, uh, you know, went to college and started studying criminal justice and got into law enforcement and really enjoyed, you know, being a patrol officer and all of that. And I made the mistake about two years in of letting the organization know that I knew technology and IT. <laughs> and that was it. That was the end of the road. You never saw the patrol car again. <laughs> I was working in IT projects and project managing. And, you know, in hindsight, it was fantastic for my career because, I got to work with Booz Allen Hamilton and Perot Systems back in the day, got to go to their business process reengineering schools and really rethink how uh, you know business operates. And then with the cybersecurity twist that I've always had, now bringing those together to say, you know what, cybersecurity needs to answer to the business to a large degree and that we can't be obstructionists. Um, yeah. you, you hear the department of no. And that's fine. We need to be the department of KNOW, not NO, right? Yeah. Where we understand the business. We know the business and what they need to achieve, and we help them achieve that. So we're, we're I try to be a different department of NO. Yeah. That's great, actually. I was really curious about how you made the jump from, from law enforcement <laughs> to cybersecurity, but it's it sort of like a reverse It was embedded. 
Yeah, it was yeah, embedded. Yeah. It was, it was yeah. there since I was a kid. You know, my first computer was a, a PET, a Commodore PET, um, and then the VIC twenty. So I, I was using a Commodore PET in school. Really fortunate to go to a school back then that was teaching computers. I graduated high school knowing BASIC. My BASIC had periods between it. Uh, Pascal, Fortran, Cobol, all wow. in high school <laughs> back in the eighties. So it was, uh, and then I went off to you know out there to go to law enforcement, which made no sense whatsoever. <laughs> um, do you have any hobbies outside of uh, computers and cybersecurity or is, is that it? Yeah. Building a house. That's a hobby. Building a house. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just moved to Florida from Utah after 21 years. And we're, we're in the process of, of building a house and all the fun that comes with it is our first time. Yeah. And uh, that is taking up a good majority of time. That is for sure. But you know, when there's downtime and it's yeah, getting on LinkedIn and, and staying informed and, and really challenging uh, the environment and, and challenging our profession to think outside the box. Um, you'll see on my LinkedIn profile, I, I come up as I, I list myself as an iconoclast, right? Because I don't want to accept what everyone believes is true. I want to I want to take that information and prove it myself. Um, or disprove it, right? I mean, we've seen a lot of that over the past couple of years. No politics uh, to mention. So uh, <laughs> alternative facts. Yes, that's it. Um, but yeah, being able to, hey, wait, is this real? If it's too good to be true, let's really dive in. Let's investigate. And you know, saying that what we've believed in cybersecurity for so long is not necessarily the best practice, right? The Department of NO is not the best practice for cybersecurity. So I, I like to challenge that aspect of our community, um, you know, and, and put that out there to people. So when you ask about hobbies, it's, yeah, it's going out on LinkedIn and reading people's posts and, and engaging with them for the sake of engaging, not for the sake of, you know, getting more profile views. No, it's, it's for the sake of learning for everybody. Is there anything that strikes you as particularly egregious in cybersecurity or is it death by a thousand cuts? Oh, God, pick one. <laughs> it's not death by a thousand cuts. It's death by a single cut, just multiple times. Uh, <laughs> right? Death by a thousand cuts, you bleed out slowly. No, no, here it's a single cut, you're dead. And they're going to give you another cut and kill you. Give me another cut and kill you. you right. know, pick your topic. I mean, it's, it's what really bothers me the most is you get these, 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 these folks that come in and think they're, they're subject matter experts because they, they, uh, you know, I've been in the field for five years and nothing to, to put them down. It's great. Welcome to welcome to cybersecurity. But, you know, in five years, there's still a lot to learn. And it took me a long time to realize that as well. You know, if, if you're thinking about cybersecurity from just a cybersecurity standpoint, you're missing the entire point, right? Because you, if you don't think about it from a business perspective, you're, you're just going to be met with resistance, um, but I mean, like the bane, the bane of, of my interactions online is, you know, hearing all these folks talk for specifically about certifications and, and I, I make no joke about this. The certification field is just mud, right? <laughs> it's just, it's full of so much muck out there. Um, there are some that are absolutely fantastic, but then there's these industry stalwarts that have really gone by the wayside. And people don't want to acknowledge that. Uh, yeah. You know, for me, for example, I look at the CISSP. Back in the day, 
It was the only certification. It was a premier certification for cybersecurity. Today, the CISSP, to me, I, I honestly don't care about it. It is a mile wide and an inch deep of information that really doesn't arm the individual with anything they can use today. You know, I get a CISSP in front of me. I'm going to take the person that has been doing this for 15 years over the person that's got a CISSP and, and four years of experience with a college degree. Uh, mm-hmm. Because that person with 15 years experience has seen it, been there, yeah. done there, got the t-shirt, right? Um, but then there's other certifications that are just stellar. Things like, uh, you know, TCM Securities PMPT, the Practical Network Penetration Tester. You know, they, they looked at CEH and said, hey, that's a paper test. PMPT is a practical test. Just like the folks at, at uh, over at OPSEC that are doing uh, the OSCP, you know, where you're, you're, it's an operational test for a pen tester. And you don't pass unless you can actually hack the box. Right. You know, to me, those types of certifications are stand up every day, right? Because you've proven not only do you have the knowledge, you know how to use it. And a lot yeah. of these paper tests don't have that component. And that's the unfortunate part. So I like to see more of these practical exams. And I encourage folks to go out and, and seek out these practical exams. So you hit one of my my strings. <laughs> yeah, I talk to a lot of people trying to get into the field. And, you know, the big question is, like, what certifications do I get? And it almost feels like there's been a, a business built upon people getting those certifications, even it's not serving anybody, it's not serving cybersecurity as the industry and certainly not serving those people if it's not helping them to enter the field. Yeah, and I, I, I really want to help people get into this field. We need more people into this field. Um, you know, my last job uh, as, as VP of operations at Stratazen, we would hire folks that had one year of help desk experience. They didn't have to have cybersecurity experience. They didn't have to, you know, have five years of, of being in the trenches of cybersecurity. If they had one year of even help desk, we would hire them as a security analyst and we would train them and we would help them get certified. Um, and I, to this day, I still believe any, any folks that are trying to break into this field, look for a help desk job. Because if you can prove after a year that you can do help desk well, you will be a fantastic cybersecurity analyst, engineer, and further. Because you, you'd be able to build up that customer experience, that customer interaction. Um, so do that at first. If you can't get into an IT job, folks, there are so many free training websites out there that center around cybersecurity. You mm-hmm. have no excuse not to do training on your own. And trust me, you can put that on your resume. Hey, I completed 40-hour training at, for example, TCM Security. They offer their training for free. It's practically free. It's like 25 30 bucks for a class. Mm-hmm. Right. Anyone can really afford that. And if you can't, you just have to watch Heath Adams's uh, LinkedIn feed because he offers the training classes up for nothing every once in a while. Yeah. Uh, you know, so a great company that's trying to give back. And folks, you can take advantage of that. Get one of those certifications and then go on to others. For example, people discredit the CompTIA Security Plus certification. Oh, that's, a, that's an entry level you know, certification. I can't tell you how many people I've seen fail that exam. Because they underestimated it. They took yeah. that and said, oh, this is an easy exam. I can just go in and do it. Uh-uh. No, no. It's a legit exam. So is it practical? No. But it gets your foot in the door 
and there's no work requirements for it. So go for those three different areas to start getting into the door. Trust me, that'll that'll get you interviews left and right. Yeah. Yeah, the Security Plus is the one I've heard from uh, somebody I spoke with at the Department of Homeland Security said it's the, the best one to get into the government. It's sort of on 95% of the jobs that they post. So, Yep, it's basic. Yep. Um, so this is a practical one, you know, for an organization that doesn't quite have comprehensive security. Is there a thing that you put forward usually as Cheers. like low hanging fruit? <laughs> I don't have one of those with me. Hey, it's five o'clock my time. So I don't even have to say it's five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. So for organizations, there's something that's a, uh, you know, low hanging. Yeah. Fruit. Yeah. For, for people yes. that don't have comprehensive security, they don't have an MSSP, but they're like aware yes. that security is a thing they should be concerned about. What should they do first? What's the first thing they can do oh, to gosh, get yes. better? You know, and that, it, it's a fantastic question because it's, it's the one I confronted when I came to Synoptic um, as a customer facing organization, customers were coming to us and going, what do I do for security? Right. They we're not, they're not security experts. They're coming to us and asking, what do I do? And we came up with uh, the Synoptic Secures framework. It's a maturity model that looks at all of these different certifications on the planet, right? It looks at a SOC 2. It takes ISO. It looks at National Institute Standards Technologies frameworks and, and everything they have there and the special publications. And, and we took all of that and we boiled it all down and said, what's important? What are the 30 or 40 things? That are important. You may say, oh my God, 30, 40 things, it's a lot. Well, these SOC and ISOs, they have like 400 things. So getting down 10% is good. And then we took it further and we said, here are the top three things you need to do. If you're doing nothing else, and we run organizations through what we call a security health check, where we go through our securities framework with them. And it's funny because I get to one of the questions is about halfway through and it deals with multi-factor authentication. And I normally start off by saying, Hey, folks, I know we've, you've already answered a lot of questions. We have a few more to go. But this question, we can stop the entire process right now if you answer no. Right? Do you have multi-factor authentication permeated throughout your environment? And if the answer is no, and the key there is permeated, Everything. not present everywhere. Right? If the answer is no, stop and do nothing else for the next two weeks. Because yeah. that is the single most valuable thing any organization can do is get MFA in place. Are we seeing holes in MFA? Yes. But we see a heck of a lot more holes without MFA. Yeah. So at in least those holes, get that's to the pretty MFA. advanced. It those is. Advanced yeah. I mean, you're talking. Yeah. yeah it, it is pretty significant that hoops they have to jump through. And let's face it, you're competing against the rest of the world as an organization. You're not competing against your normal competitors. You're competing against everyone that's connected to the internet. You just have to be a little bit better than everybody else for the bad guys to stay away from you. Because they're not going to spend six months trying to hack you when they can go and spend a month hacking six other companies and getting six other ransoms. Um, When you look back over your career, is there any uh, specific scenarios, you know, obfuscating everybody involved, but any kind of uh, shit hits the fan type things that you can recount? Oh boy. Um, yeah. Pick, pick a myriad of, of, you know, examples. Um, you know, everything from, you know, you get on site. One of the things I love doing is, is physical penetration testing, um, which is basically being on site and trying to gain access to buildings and facilities and server rooms. And, and it goes without fail that the power 
of an orange vest and a clipboard <laughs> is just amazing. Yeah. Right. You can walk in with a clipboard and an orange vest and really get access to almost anything in the building. It's amazing. So, you know, just being able to do that, uh, you know, seeing organizations that have got their cybersecurity so, and this is factual, having their cybersecurity is so tuned up, they challenge, oh, you can't find anything, blah, blah, blah. And, and you're right, you can't. But then I walk in and I look at their server room, which is hardened. And I can sit there and take a credit card and pop the lock on the server room door. And I can't tell you, Chris, how many times I've done that. It's it's just, it's ridiculous that organizations just don't see that physical side. They're so focused on the the ones and the zeros Mm -hmm. that they neglect the physical side. So, um, you know, I, I was at an organization recently where it it was, if you were an OCD type individual, you know, where everything has to be perfect and in line, especially cabling has to be perfectly strict, <laughs> it would cause this person to go into a total panic. Um, because I opened up the, the, the closet, the server room door, and it was like oh, spaghetti everywhere. <laughs> so our job is, as cybersecurity is to look at this and go, okay, what, what are we seeing? What, what could be cross-linked, Right. And the worst case scenario was this was a, a server room that was shared by our client and a different client. And so we go in and we see the spaghetti everywhere. And I'm thinking the worst case that could happen is there's a cross leg somewhere. So I'm hoping that's not the case. Start tracing wires. And what do I find? A cross link between the networks. Even after the, the IT director for the other company told me, oh, no, we've got this squared away. My network's tight, blah, blah, blah. Fortunately, we found out that the crosslink was bad in his favor, not ours. Our client was locked, locked tight, solid. But if you connected to the public Wi-Fi of our client, you could see his entire internal network. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it was just like, oh, this is like one-on-one level stuff, right? You should trace out this physical stuff. Make sure, you know, to be, to be network cable OCD is a good thing. I am yeah. not putting that down at all. Um, you know, I have an individual who works for me that is just fantastic when it comes to cabling and networking. Everything has to be perfectly aligned, and there's a good reason for it. So you can see where your data is flowing yeah. physically. There's actually, there's a subreddit devoted to that specifically, oh, yeah. and I'm a subscriber. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, I Normally, I was not that way until I, I saw the beauty of it. And yeah, yeah I mean... You get that herringbone cable. Oh, it looks fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we won't we won't say what it's what the slang for it is, but yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um th- this is a question I'm very curious to ask you because I've seen you rail against uh oh. the salesmanship uh methods oh. used by people on LinkedIn. Mm. And as a cybersecurity vendor, I'm oh. I want to make sure I don't offend folks like you. So what is the problem with the way people are selling cybersecurity today? It's not just cybersecurity. It's everything on LinkedIn. You know, LinkedIn up until about, I would say, you know, check me on this, but maybe 18 months ago, it was a different platform. And all of a sudden, it's just become this sales platform. And the connect and pitch is what really ticks me off. Um you know, you send me this nice invite. Hey, I want to be a part of your network and learn from you, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, great. Hey, connect. 
And the next one is, is, is generally an automated message. Hey, have you ever thought about, you know, what this could do to your bottom line? Blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. Come on. So I give people one time and then I block them. I've just gotten right. into blocking people. Um, that's unfortunate because if you connect and pitch that way, you're, you're put, and, and there's lots of LinkedIn forums about that talk about exactly this, what not to do, right? I don't mind if I post a problem. I go out on LinkedIn, hey, you know, God, this is what I was doing today, and here's the problem. I don't mind if vendors then, hey, based on what you posted, here's how we right. can help you out, right. right? But this cold emailing, this cold pitching, connect and pitch, um, you know, as soon as I start blocking and others start blocking you because you're using some type of software that automates, hey, you send me one email, I don't respond. And then what happens a week later, the system auto-generates another one. Hey, Chris, yeah. we haven't heard back from you, blah, blah, blah. And then three weeks later, hey, Chris, you know, I'm, I'm following up on my, or the other, yeah. the worst one outside of LinkedIn. Hey, just bring this to the top of your inbox. <laughs> no, it's in the bottom of my inbox for a reason. Let's leave it there. Um, you know, that's, a, to me, those are all, almost auto-block. But yeah. what that does is LinkedIn is a community, right? And if I auto block you as a salesperson, that means I'm never going to be able to help you in the future. Let's yeah. say you need to get a job somewhere and we've had a good relationship on LinkedIn. I'm going to help you out. Yeah. You know, I don't have to know you personally. It's the engagement we have on LinkedIn. I'm going to yeah. try and help you out. Hey, I've been working with this person for you know five years on LinkedIn. We've had great dialogue. Anyone you know, have a good position for them and use my network. As soon as you I block you, I'm never going to see you again. Right. Yeah. So you're putting yourself at a disadvantage by, by using those types of sales tools. Don't. Yeah. You know, and genuine relationships engage. matter, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I'll bring it up with, with you and I, right. I originally reached out to you. We were going down the path of, of actually getting Lima Charlie and, and using Lima Charlie. And all of a sudden we took a right turn and went a different direction, yeah. you know, and, and went with, with the competitor. That's nothing against Lima Charlie. That's nothing against you. It's just basically, that was the, at the moment, that's what the organization needs to do. And here we are, you know, we've still stayed in contact. I still love Lee Macharlo. I still yeah. love the platform, you yeah. know? Yeah, and no, I still I, recommend I it to people. Yeah, I enjoy listening to your rant. Yeah, I'm, I'm ranting. <laughs> no, but it's so all here. about that relationship building. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so I guess we're, we're almost at the end here. I got two more questions for you. Um, yeah. Do you have any advice for people who are thinking about coming into cybersecurity? Like what, what's advice that you give to somebody starting out in their career? First job, help desk, what next? Oh yeah. First job, help desk by far. You've already set yourself uh, above and beyond. Um, as I said earlier, get out there and do some of those free trainings. Don't discount it because it's free and absolutely put it on your resume. I want to see it. One of the first questions I ask interviews, uh, interviewees that, that are coming in from outside of cybersecurity is like, Hey, what have you done to prepare yourself for this? Mm. Right, knowing that there's a plethora of training out there and lots of content, you know. And the normal answer I get is, "Well, you know, I haven't really done anything." Oh, this, this conversation's over, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're not going to help yourself, don't look for others to to help you. You know, we put the information out there. There's lots of resources. Utilize those resources. Uh, take advantage of the programs that are out there. More importantly. Learn things you don't know. I I am not a Mac fan by any means. I am not an Apple fan by any means. And I, I also hate networking, which from a you know, cybersecurity guy seems ridiculous, right? Yeah. But I can't stand networking. But I took a college-level course in networking so I could better understand it. I don't want to do it. 
but at least I understand it, right? Yeah. Um, and do that. If you're trying to get into cybersecurity, do the things you like and do the things you don't like. And then talk about that and say, look, you know, I didn't like pen testing, but I took this course anyway. And, you know, I learned more about it uh, and learned where my strengths and weaknesses were. That's a great thing. Cool. That's good advice. Um, look, the last one, which is my favorite, uh, any uh, predictions for the future? <laughs> oh, boy. What does 2023 uh, hold for us, Chris? <laughs> honestly, more of the same. Mm. The, you know, because we've seen more of the same, right? We constantly say, I can't believe this is happening again. You know, the next hack comes out, gets announced. The next breach gets announced. And what do all everyone in cybersecurity say? Can't believe this is happening again. Yeah. Right. You know, you look at the 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 whole Uber incident that occurred, and then I've I've got a diagram that's out there. Look it up on LinkedIn. You know, where I posted, someone else posted the flow flow chart of of how the the Uber hack happened, and I went through on the side and posted red in red. Here's how it could have been caught or prevented at each stage, showing that defense in depth still exists and is still needed. Um, I'll tell you the one thing you won't see for 2023 is a zero trust product. (laughs) Okay. Zero trust architecture is an absolute thing. And I I do like it. I enjoy it. I think it has a lot of merit. When you come to me and say you have a zero trust product. No, that's hype. (laughs) That's marketing hype. So 2023, we're going to see lots of zero trust products that don't really exist. Borrow the term from the eighties and nineties, vaporware. Right. Vaporware. Yeah. Vaporware. So what scares me most though is the eventual advancement of like quantum computing. Mm-hmm. If if everything they're saying about that is even remotely a fraction true, it, it's gonna turn cybersecurity on its head. Especially yeah. once nation states get a hold of it. Yeah. Um, that's really going to cause us some aggravation. Yeah, it's a dystopian one way and uh, paradise <laughs> another way, right? It depends how you think about it. Until we get a, you know, of course, the hacking tools always lead by far the defense tools. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we'll have hacks out there. We're not going to have a quantum firewall. You know, we'll have quantum hacks by far. Yeah. I think quantum entanglement them. is how they're going to do um, <laughs> uh, uh, how they're going to do encryption in the future. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be very, very the quantum world with, with quantum computing. Uh, the next five to ten years, that that's definitely going to be a very interesting arena to look into. You know, crypto will, will be there and it'll change it and it'll mature and it'll do things. And I'm sure there'll be some new buzzword we haven't heard of yet. Quantum is definitely coming. Well, on that, I'm going to sign off with you, sir. Appreciate your time. Hi, my name is Maxim Lamad-Brassard. I'm co-founder at Lima Charlie. Uh, Super happy to be talking a little bit about our product updates today. Um, So Lima Charlie, to to kind of paint a a high-level picture for those that aren't aware, um, so we're an AWS-like platform 
um, that offers cybersecurity primitives. So briefly, what that means is that like AWS, it's the way that you interact with us, uh, meaning everything we do is self-serve, scale up, scale down, build per usage, OEM friendly, multi-tenant. Um, and the primitives that we have on top of that just means that they are security solutions that are designed to be like, uh, you know, mix and match, like a, a Lego block set so that you can assemble the right type of security solution that you're looking for uh, for, your, for your organization. Uh, that includes into getting very deep visibility into the things that you're detecting and responding and automating. So uh, let's uh, let's just jump into a little bit of a recap over the last few months. We've rolled out a lot of different, uh, different new products over the last few months. Um, and so we will have a quick look at what those, uh, what those were. And then, um, and then for the future, for the next, uh, the next product updates, they will be a little bit more uh, short-term. And what we'll do is that for each new product or, or new feature that we rolled out, we will go and do a, um, we'll go and do a demo and kind of show you how you can leverage that, the types of integrations, the ways that you could, you know, that you could uh, work with that feature. So let's get started. The biggest really feature we've rolled out recently was the ability to ingest external telemetry. Um, and what that means is that you can now bring in pretty much anything into Lima Charlie uh, in terms of logs. Get that in real time with our retention through our automation engine and through the output layer. So you can you know, get it uh, summarized, transformed, and sent wherever it needs it, whether it's a data lake or webhooks or whatever you need. So um, specifically, in the first kind of set of solutions that we rolled out was uh, support for uh, AWS Cloud uh, CloudTrail logs. So obviously, you can now bring those in directly cloud to cloud, meaning you don't need to deploy anything uh, from S3 or SQS in, in uh, AWS. And you can connect those to be ingested directly into Lima Charlie. Equivalent of that, it would be the GCP uh, platform logs. Uh, which we've done uh, in a very similar way, except in GCP land, that would be through uh, PubSub or Google Cloud Storage. Um, and then we added uh, one password integration. So the one password integration allows you to take the audit logs that are coming in from one password, uh, all of the events, right? Let's say somebody punching in, uh, you know, their, their password wrong a couple of different times or 2FA fails, all those kinds of signals. So coming in to Lima Charlie so you can build automation around it. And a huge one that we launched with was uh, VMware Carbon Black. So really, this was really important for us because it was the first EDR that we put out uh, compatibility for. And what's really important calling out with Carbon Black is that it will do uh, normalization and encapsulation. So if you are a, uh, let's say an MSSP doing MDR with, a, you have a bunch of different types of customers. Um, this was a really big one because it means that you can now plug in their carbon black install into Lima Charlie and get you know, the retentions of the year of retention out of the box the ability to apply all of the other automation rules that you had for the Lima Charlie EDR now transparently apply to Carbon Black. So that means you don't need to re-engineer your pipeline or re-engineer you know, what's a new process in X versus Y. We kind of take care of all that complexity. 
And the encapsulation means that you never lose the original. So you're able to always refer to very specific carbon black fields if you need it. And that was the first, uh, carbon black was the first of the EDR. Uh, but uh, we have added several over uh, over time, so over the last few months. So we have added compatibility for Microsoft Defender, and we have most recently added compatibility for CrowdStrike. So we're super happy about that one uh, as well. Um, so we can now take the, the pretty detailed CrowdStrike telemetry, bring that in, normalize it. So that means that, you know, if you're on Lee as you get different types of customers, uh, using different types of tools uh, like EDR, you can just bring some sanity to managing across the board without having to, you know, take care of, uh, of hundreds of mapping rules. Um, we uh, similarly to one password in a way. So we have brought in Office 365 audit logs again, cloud to cloud, so you don't have to deploy anything anywhere. Um, We've also added something that is not cloud-to-cloud, cloud, which is the Windows event logs. So this is through the Lima Charlie adapter. So that's the Lima Charlie binary for Windows, Mac, Linux that you can bring on-prem wherever you'd like and configure to ingest from the ton of different sources. So that could be you know, tailing a file or being a, a standard in or a syslog endpoint, or in this case, to listen on the local box through uh, the Windows APIs for Windows event logs and bring those into Lima Charlie. So it's a very different type. Um, for example, if you have some large domain controllers, things like that, it makes it easy to deploy and get those logs into Lima Charlie without having to uh, always deploy an EDR. Sometimes that's just a better solution. Um, Duo, very similarly to 1Password, you know, a lot around uh, authentication. GitHub audit logs was really exciting for us uh, because we use GitHub. Uh, we hear a lot about uh, supply chain, uh, uh, you know, attacks nowadays. Uh, there's for a lot of organizations, GitHub is really becoming a cornerstone of a lot of the intellectual property. Um, and this uh, this audit log allows you to start uh, developing, you know, things like automation, like, uh, you know, I think that some of the demo uh, detections that we put out there when uh, when we made the announcement around, um, hey, somebody uh, outside of working hours has been cloning uh, over five repos within a minute. Um, and, you know, this is and, and not from an automated account. Um, so things that could indicate, you know, maybe somebody is about to do something that they shouldn't access to a whole lot of code copy it somewhere where it's not intended. Um, so really interesting types of access patterns um, that can be automated that way. Same with Slack. So, so many uh, companies use Slack at a really core level. Um, so this allows you again to kind of look at where are people logging it from, um, looking at anomalies uh, around the Slack audit logs. Super cool. Uh, finally, uh, it's the common event uh, format. So CEF logs which are really common in things like uh, firewalls and kind of uh, very high flow, um, uh, like things like, like firewalls and, and routers and some SIMs. So it's a pretty common type of format that allows you to exchange in a somewhat standard way, uh, you know, information about what's happening um, between different systems. So we now support it directly, which means that, uh, you know, you might have some, let's say, a Fortinet uh, firewall that sits on-prem somewhere 
and you want to bring in those logs into Lima Charlie, you can do that trivially through the adapter. Just connect that in. Um, it uh, you know you could then do do some summarization or some sampling off those logs and send that to your sim. Uh, so that's kind of a fairly common um, a common pattern for people th- using CEF logs in Lima Charlie. Um, so that is kind of an overview of probably the last four months of what we've been adding. You can see we're adding a ton of stuff very, very quickly. And uh, honestly, we have a superpower in how you've, we've designed all of this to be able to scale new data sources really, really easily. So if there's something that's important to you, um, please let us know. We're more than happy to work on adding those as first class. But of course, you're never uh, you're never stopped by Lima Charlie, right? So uh, worth calling out that we have generic sources like text and syslog and JSON logs that allow you to uh, define yourself different log sources, how to parse them into JSON, how you want to manipulate them, how you want to you know tr- uh, do indexing on them, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so that's always available uh, to you as well. So the other uh, big feature that we released over the last few months was the ability to get more visibility into the detection rules. Um, as you probably know, in Lima Charlie, you can enable uh, some rule sets very easily. And one of them is uh, the Sigma rule set. So Sigma is this great open source, um, both project and tool um, to go and have a, a common language to create detection uh, rules or queries and to apply them to different uh, to different kind of uh, technologies. So we have support for Sigma, which means that we can take the open source rule set that comes along with this. So from the community, thousands of rules, and go and apply that into, um, into Lima Charlie with single click. So that's really easy. Uh, in the past, however, you would uh, not be able to see those rules being applied. So, it, it, you know, we were not showing those rules. Um, what we now do is that we've started uh, exposing those rules. So now you can see uh, here, you know, we have like the list of all of those rules that are applied, which is really cool. Um, you can enable and disable individual rules as well. So sometimes, you know, one of the rules is, you know, spams a lot. So you're able to turn it off at will and reactivate it. Over time, we will also be adding tags um, relating to each of those rules. So for example, you know, we'll be able to say, hey, this rule says that it is, uh, you know, a uh, uh, on the topic of attack technique T1004 or whatever it is. Um, And so you'll be able to view those tags uh, beside the rules and you will be able to apply some some advanced filtering on that. So you'll be able to slice and dice your rule set, see how you're you're protecting your organization. Uh, So if we go and we pick a, a specific role and we just click into it, so in this case, uh, you'll have an interface to, you know, uh, go apply your own tags, enable, disable. You'll have the ability to replay a specific rule, right, against historical data in your tenant uh, so that you can, you know, test it over time or, or see how a new rule performed in the past. You can also, uh, we just provide you a link directly to the Lima Charlie rule itself. So, uh all of the rules that we convert from the Sigma language into Lima Charlie are in a public repo. So this allows you to go and start comparing, you know, hey, if I look up this rule in Sigma, 
how does that get translated into a Lima Charlie DNR rule? So that's also a great way to start learning about specific uh, specific rules, about specific features in Lima Charlie, and how to start building your your own rules in uh, directly in the DNR rule format, so detection response rule in Lima Charlie, which will give you a lot more you know a lot more kind of power and, and deep integration into Lima Charlie. So this is super exciting uh, as well for us. Uh, because we know that it's you know it's great to have a lot of rules uh, from you know Sigma or the Soteria rules, which is another rule set that people can subscribe to. Um, but you know it's really important for us to really live up to the uh, uh, the transparency uh, kind of ideal that we put forward. And so this is really going to give you that visibility into what's actually going on. And see, you know, whether you're protected against maybe a specific uh, miter attack technique, and if so, you know, what different rules cover that, and really start, uh, you know, digging in. Um, cool. So, uh, thanks for for uh, for watching this kind of short recap of the last few months of products. There's going to be a ton more coming up in the future. Super excited about it, and uh, more excited about also kind of sitting down and really going through those features kind of showing the example usages um, and, and how to leverage them. So uh, looking forward to, uh, to next time. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of the first episode of the Cybersecurity Defenders podcast. We are really excited about this project and are looking forward to bringing you unique and valuable content in the weeks ahead. It's a new platform for us and we would love your feedback as we figure things out. Questions, comments, and suggestions can all be directed to defenders at limacharlie.io. Thanks for joining us.